0: Well, good morning, good morning. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're finishing this first letter today. I know I've been stuck here now in chapter 5 for three weeks, but for very, very good reason. If you're turning there, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24 of First. Thessalonians 5. I'm calling this one Church Life Part 3. I promise you, I'm not titling these out of laziness, just going 1, 2, and 3. This is important because as we dive in today, we're going to see more and more that, well, actually, more and more meets the eye. There's so much more to church life than, <clears throat> than what a lot of people think it entails, and it's important for us to really grasp this message today. So if you're there, let's read verses 19 through 24. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul. And body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Church, since we are indwelt by God Himself as believers in the person of the Holy Spirit, and because we know that for us to abide in God, And in His will, we need the Holy Spirit who indwells us for this communion. And now that we understand that this communion, this connection to God, provides us the opportunity to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, to give thanks in all circumstances, which keeps us in step with His will, Well, it would seem that all believers would constantly be tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if in His power He instills hope, um, He fills us with joy, He brings us peace, He creates for us a space where we are surrounded by the presence of God and constant or continual communication with Him. Who would want to disconnect from that? What Christian would want that power source to be interrupted? Now, I'm not talking about um, our salvation here. I'll bring that up later. Your salvation is intact. That's not what I'm communicating. I'm talking about our fellowship with God being disrupted the sense of being separated from Him, not that God leaves us, church family, He doesn't leave us, but that we lose our connection to Him when we choose, when we choose to live apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, when we choose to live apart from God's Word. What it is is relational separation. Relational separation. How does this happen To a believer. How does this happen? Well, we quench the Spirit. If you look at verse 19, all it says right there, do not quench the Spirit. Now, let me explain the word quench. As a lot of you probably already are aware, it means to extinguish or to put out, like putting out a fire when we extinguish a fire. Now, the Spirit cannot truly be extinguished. Let's get that straight. He is God. The point is that the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer can be stifled. It can be smothered. It can be quenched. Do you understand that we can grieve, that we can actually resist the work of the Spirit? We can. But Galatians 5, 25 tells us, That if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So that verse is important for us. We don't say we're going to live in the Spirit and then leave everything else alone. We don't just throw caution into the wind. We don't just throw pieces up in the air and say, let's see if it lands back into its original form. No, there is great effort and care in this for us to keep in step with the Spirit. That's for us to tap into the Holy Spirit's power and to adhere to God's Word. It takes that from us. So I want you to think about that. Instead of walking with the Spirit, we can fight against Him. Now we're called to be filled with, we're called to keep in step with, we're called to exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit, yet we can quench His work in our lives. So, how were the Thessalonians doing this? Well, Paul gives us a wonderful example of how the Spirit was being quenched in the very next verse. Look at verse 20 of our text. Do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. What in the world Does this mean to despise prophecies? We have to remember that the early churches, they did not have the written word or the complete canon uh, like we have today. They couldn't thumb through from Genesis to Revelation. They did not have that. So God gave some the gift of prophecy for the edification of the church it was a gift to build others up in encouragement and if you remember that's the platform in which we started this how do we encourage one another how do we build each other one, one another up well one of the ways was the gift of prophecy in this time so the gift of prophecy was the ability to receive and communicate direct revelations from god before the new testament was completed So it seems that the church in Thessalonica, for some reason, was was despising these prophecies or rejecting these prophecies. Now, first off, let me explain something. These prophecies are not just a foretelling of future events. I know we see that a lot with the prophets, where God threatens that, hey, here's judgment, right, here's reward, We know prophetic foretelling, but there's also prophetic forthtelling, where you present biblical truth, and that's what this church needed was biblical truth, and that's what was being presented. So these direct revelations were coming from God. But for some reason, in Thessalonica, they were stopping this. See, they were cutting off a very valuable source of encouragement for their church community. And therefore, they were extinguishing the Spirit's fire. They were putting it out. It's possible, we speculate here, it's possible that they felt uncomfortable with this gift of prophecy because of where they lived. What I mean by that is past experiences with idolatry uh, that were present in their culture, especially uh, especially with the surrounding pagan cults they too performed what they called prophecy. And maybe they didn't want to associate with that for fear that they would be thrown into that category of that that pagan cult life. Um, And in their practices, maybe they valued other gifts higher. We don't see his prophecy as, as high as the others. Maybe that was the case. Maybe someone came in and made some type of heretical proclamation that just was shocking. I mean, this church could have easily, excuse me, had a bad experience, and instead of exercising discernment, which is a gift, which they had that, instead of exercising discernment between true and false prophecies, they just shut down all prophetic activity. You know what? I can't tell good from wrong, bad, right. I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what we're hearing. Let's shut it all down. That way we're playing it safe. Again, this is Speculation. But what Paul does give us, uh, he gives us an issue, a specific issue. And the text doesn't suggest the problem, but we do know there was a problem. And this is why he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, look at verse 21. He goes on to say, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Test everything. Now, those with the gift of discernment would have been very helpful in this testing. A lot of you may have today the gift of discernment. It's an important one, especially in our world right now. To test everything, what is actually being tested in Thessalonica? Well, that is the genuineness of the prophecy. Does it match up? So, I'll give you an example in a second. But this would include submitting the prophetic words that they heard to the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures, to uh, uh, the prophets, what the prophets had written, uh, to the New Testament apostolic witnesses that were there, such as Paul, Timothy, Silas. It'd be submitting it to those authorities, evaluating this prophetic message based on known revelation. Does it match up? Does it coincide with what's been taught? It's based on known revelation and consistency with the theology, with the theology and ethics that Jesus handed down to the apostles. What Jesus said and what we've been taught and learned is this matching up. So in essence, they were weighing the prophecy to see if it was true or false. Now here's the problem. Once again, we don't have enough information. We do not know the extent of text that Thessalonica had. We don't know how much of the Old Testament writings. Did they have the prophet Isaiah? Did they have the law of Moses ready at hand? We don't know. They could have easily just had the two letters and what Paul, Silas, and Timothy taught. It could have easily been that. But still, they had to weigh what was being said against what they knew, the direct revelation that they had. So those prophecies that held truth that lined up with other writings or lined up with what had been preached to them, these they were to hold fast to. This was for edification of the church. Hold on to these. These passed the test. But those that didn't match up were to discard. Now, it is sad to say, but people did abuse this gift. They're doing it today still, folks. They did abuse this gift due to selfish desires, And unfortunately, there were also those who were fake. There were those who were fake, counterfeit. Uh, In fact, Paul, Peter, John, and many others, they warn us constantly about false prophets all through Scripture. There's a reason for this warning because of these false prophecies, these counterfeit prophecies. So they were to observe They were to check out, examine, inspect, look carefully over what was being prophesied in the church, but not to stop it. Don't stop it. Weigh it. Examine it. So if someone came into our church and said, I have a prophetic word, we're all gods. We're all gods. They go on to say, hey, and one of you had the chance to be the supreme God. If you work hard enough and you do this, 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 and this, you could be the God that we worship right now. Well, we'd say to ourselves, hold on. That does not match the direct revelation I have because there's only one God. One true God in three persons is who we worship. I'm a created being. I'm not a God. What you're saying does not match what I have. And that's how we're to be With our biblical worldview today, we are to use this as our filter for what we absorb daily, what's coming in. We are to use this, just like the Thessalonians were supposed to, discernment, direct revelation that we have, and the Holy Spirit. You know He convicts, right? He will lead. If you hear something that's not right, your spirit will be, uh, you'll be moved. It happens a lot if we are allowing the Spirit to work and not quenching it. That's how they were putting out the fire of the Spirit. They weren't allowing the discernment. They weren't allowing for these prophecies for them to weigh. They were just stopping the activity altogether. And speaking of that kind of form of of evilness that people did uh, commit with false prophecies being counterfeit, look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Now, this is pretty straightforward. I get it. But guys, this is going beyond abstaining from false prophetic messages as well as the one prophesying. We'd stay away from that that false prophet too. This goes beyond. Same thing on holding on to what is good goes beyond just weighing the prophecies. We're talking about something much larger here. So, this is truly abstaining from all evil, is what we're talking about. All evil. However, we cannot abstain, and I don't know if this is going to step on toes, but I'm going to tell you right now, we cannot abstain from every form of evil without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You can't. So, our human nature, with its desires okay, with its desires uh, of the flesh go against the work of the Spirit. Our flesh goes against the work of the Spirit. Um, We are at odds with the fruit that the Spirit wants to produce in our lives. We're at odds with that. Without the Holy Spirit working in the heart of every believer, this would not be possible. So, we should pay special attention to what we discussed earlier, like I said, about um, holding on to, uh, uh, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast what is good. I mean, if we are holding fast to what is good, then there is no way that we can continue to hold on to evil. Can't hold on to both. If, if we are filled with the Spirit and the good of that Spirit working in our lives, then there is no room to be filled with evil. In fact, let me read this verse. This is going to sum it up. Galatians 5, 16 and 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Folks, the flesh goes against the spirit, and vice versa. The spirit goes against the flesh, they are opposed. A Christian cannot entertain both that good and bad. They are opposed to each other. And this takes us right back home to where we can quench the Spirit. Do you see how easy it is to be separated from God? To have that disconnect? We have the ability, folks... To do this very thing. So at this point, if you're okay with it, I want to stop here and just place all of this that we've talked about this morning right into each of our laps, mine included. I'm placing everything that we've discussed right into our laps. Church family, if we are gratifying the flesh and we are allowing it a place to work in our lives then how can the Holy Spirit be and act as he wants to? How can he express himself in our lives if we are not allowing him the room to work, yet we are bringing the evil and the sin in and letting it take its place? That's how important this is. We are extinguishing his fire. Now, you're still saved. You're still a Christian. But we are extinguishing his fire. We are not allowing him room to work because we have chosen. You hear that? We have chosen to give that precious space over to evil. We've just given it up. And by definition, that sin and that evil, guess what it does? It separates us From God, there is a great disconnect when we allow that to happen. There is a wonderful story in Genesis three about Adam and Eve. Uh, Shocker, they they sin, great sin, and in this text, God created everything perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. The garden, the place they lived, the animals that surrounded them—they were perfect. The moon and the stars above them, everything was perfect, their surroundings. But the serpent, the devil, told them a great lie. And they fell prey to this lie, and they both sinned. As you all know the story, they both sinned. And guess what happened? Perfection had been disrupted. That's what happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Perfection was disrupted. There was a great disconnect now. And in fact, in Genesis 3-7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Folks, something happened here. There was a great change. They were separated from the perfection that they once enjoyed something happened. So God intervened. God intervened. And as we see here in Genesis 3:21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them because God's perfection, folks, his perfection and his justice, he had to deal with the sin that had been committed by Adam and Eve. He couldn't brush it under the rug. He couldn't say, you know what, here's your mulligan. His, who he is, his character, justice, it had to be dealt with. So, God had to take a harmless animal, one that was completely innocent of all of this, And he had to shed its blood in order to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness with its skin. In this act, which foreshadows God's ultimate plan in Christ, the shedding of innocent blood was required to pay for the sin that had been committed. Without it, there could be no forgiveness. There could be no reconnect. The separation was too much. Man could do nothing. God had to intervene, and Adam and Eve, along with every other human being, would have been eternally separated from God. And yes, here I am talking about our salvation for the purpose of illustration, okay? For the purpose of illustration. So, Jesus Christ's work on the cross The shedding of his blood is what saved us all from being eternally separated from God. He is the bridge between man and God. Now, the reason I tell you that awesome story, again, that foreshadows what Christ did for each and every one of us, is I want you to keep that imagery in mind as I take us back to our fellowship with God. Your salvation's intact. I'm taking us back to fellowship, but I need you to remember what God did in that garden, how he covered them, okay? How he intervened and brought the reconnect back, reinstalled that connection, if you will. So we can quench the spirit. We've already decided that. Oh, we can do it very well. We can call separation when we sin, When we choose to do evil, when we choose to live apart from the work of the Spirit and His power, when we choose to live apart from God's Word, we can cause separation. And this can happen daily, folks. You remember when we talked about holding fast to good? You know, good has its origin in God. Good has its origin in God. Evil is a distortion of this good. In case you ever wondered wow, what's evil? Well, evil is the distortion of this good. It's counterfeit. And we can all fall prey to this distortion. We can believe the lie. I know a lot of people look at Adam and you go, oh my goodness, how could they have done that? When we do it every single day. We can believe the lie. So like the Thessalonians, we have the tendency to despise prophecy. You want to know how? This is how we despise prophecy today. We either neglect or ignore the Bible's message, uh, not doing what it says to do. Boiled it down for you. We can neglect and ignore what the Bible is telling us to do. So if it's the Holy Spirit who illuminates for us God's will, which we know he does, if it is the Holy Spirit who sheds light on who we are to be in Christ, which he does, yet we still are quenching, extinguishing the very work of the Spirit who wants to help us? Does that bother you? It bothers me greatly. It's bothered me all week in my studies. and preparing for this, I realized that I am extremely bothered by my tendency as a human to allow something to replace the power of God's Holy Spirit working in my life because I know I want my relationship with you guys in church life to be intact and I want my relationship, my fellowship with my God uh, to be intact. I don't want that separated, but I have the tendency still to allow that to happen and so do you, so do you. And the further, here's the scary part, and the further the separation our relationship to Jesus grows, the tougher it becomes to discern the truth. The farther apart we grow from Jesus, I'm gonna tell you right now, you'll begin to conform to something and it's not him. Discernment will be out the window. We'll believe, start to believe what's false. Well, maybe there's something to that. Well, why was I against that? That's what happens when you separate from God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit, when you separate from fellowship. You know, what I mean is this, guys. We have to test what is being thrown at us, and come on, look at this world, the world under Satan's influence. We are bombarded, we are bombarded all day long with things that are false. Sometimes we accept them as truth, it's true. Sometimes we begin to compromise, but for a Christian, this has to be a shield for us. We have to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to be a shield for us. So do these things conform that we're hearing to the authoritative revelation, God's Word? What you're being bombarded with, are you using this as the filter to say, I don't, that doesn't match what, the character of my God. That doesn't match up what Scripture says. I can't, I can't believe that. I can't follow that. I can't allow that even to enter my mind. This is what can disrupt our fellowship. Or what we absorbing on a daily basis. Is it edifying the church? Can we truly discern good from bad? Because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of Christians that cannot do that. They cannot do that. But what does Romans 12.2 tell us? If we're going to distinguish between Satan and the world and our flesh versus his will, what does it tell us in Romans 12.2? Do not be conformed to this world... But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern excuse me, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What a beautiful verse to summarize this. But guess what? We cannot do this, what this verse just talked about. We cannot do this without the Holy Spirit working effectively in our lives. I'm going to add effectively now. The Holy Spirit working effectively in our lives. Let's go on. Look at verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. First, Jesus Christ brought peace between God and man. In the incarnation, when he first came to this earth under God's awesome master plan, Jesus Christ the prince of peace he brought peace between god and man the church in thessalonica they came to experience peace like this through the preaching of the gospel they were enjoying peace with one another remember this church was firing on all cylinders even though they had issues this was a church paul was extremely proud of and happy about they were his glory remember so when we look at this This should be the very peace that we experience here at Grace Fellowship. We, too, are to enjoy peace between one another. This is part of church life. When you enter this building, take your bulletin and have a seat. The one thing that you have to remember is that you and I are exercising and maintaining peace between one another. And this God of peace, he's sanctifying us completely. And you know what? Your whole spirit... Your whole body, your whole soul. If we look to the spirit, if we look to the soul, if we look to the body, I'm going to add heart and mind to this. Our entire being is what he's talking about—the totality of the human. That is what is being sanctified, being set apart for God. Why? Because he's being distinct, and he's devoted uh, devoted to us, being made more and more Christ-like. And in this wholeness, the completeness of you and I being transformed, being perfected, we are to be found blameless at Jesus Christ's return. Paul wants that for the Thessalonican church. Uh, Pastor Mark wants that for Grace Fellowship Church. I hope all of you want that as well. We are to be found blameless at His return. And how do we know that God is at work? Philippians 1:6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are not alone. We have not been abandoned in this. God is working. Our God is faithful. And that's why the Bible tells us that he will surely do it. He'll do it. Do what? God will make it happen. God is the one who will make us blameless at Christ's return. The very same God who calls a Christian will perform all of this work by this Holy Spirit who indwells him. Our trust in Jesus, who we know will preserve us right to the end. And we have every reason, we have every reason to believe that he is trustworthy in this work. He's performing it in all of you right now. He's trustworthy. So church life, church life. How do we get to the point where we are encouraging one another and, and, and building each other up, as verse 11 of chapter five tells us. Remember, that was our jumping off point, right? That was the platform where we started to build. Church life involves our relationship to each other, respecting the leadership that is in place. And then those leaders and the congregation, the membership as a whole, admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, uh, uh, helping the weak, all of us seeking to do good to one another, exhibiting patience and maintaining peace, the peace that we just spoke about with one another. This is the relationship we are called to stir one another to mutual love and good works. So there's part of church life. More than meets the eye, huh? But then we have our relationship to God, which is even more important because our relationship to each other is non-existent without our relationship to God. It can't happen. So church life involves our relationship to God. We are called to devotion, directing our prayers that are unceasing, expressing joy always, our joy expressed always, being thankful in all circumstances because of the hope because of the hope we found in Christ. So our reliance, our dependence, being fully in God, not our own efforts, but letting his beautiful gift to us, the Holy Spirit, do his work in our lives. We're not stopping his work like the Thessalonians were doing. We're not stopping his work. We're not quenching the Spirit's activity like the Thessalonians were doing. No, 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 we're not doing that but giving him the room to help us as we are sanctified completely. Who would want to stop that? Who would want to disconnect from that? Who would allow that to be disrupted? Yet we do it all the time. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? He is making us ready for the return of Christ. Our faithful God has done, is doing, and will do this for all of us. So, as you can see, I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's much more going on in church life than meets the eye. So, my question today is where are you at? Believers, where are you at? You know your involvement in this place, in this ministry, in this church family. You are involved, you're a part of it. Where are you at? Are you despising prophecies? Are you quenching the Spirit? Are you allowing things to disrupt your connection to God, which disrupts not only your relationship with Him, but your disruption here with others? Can you not show mutual love? Can you not seek to do good to another because of your relationship with God being disconnected? Where are you at today? Are you allowing the Spirit's power to lead you in loving others as Christ loves you? We can't forget that. Christ still loves you. Are you allowing yourself to love others? See, I'm gonna tell you something, this is true. The vitality of our church family, it depends on the presence and leadership of the Holy Spirit along with our adherence to God's truth. I said this in the very beginning. It's not by our efforts that all this happens, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit about effort on our part. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and we are to adhere to God's truth. How can we do anything else but that if we wanna remain connected? So church life is so much more. It's so much more. Galatians 6.10, I'm gonna end with this. Galatians 6.10 says, so then as we have opportunity, which we do, Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. That's you and I. There is plenty of opportunity here. You guys know there's plenty of opportunity to serve, there's plenty of opportunity to fill a need. There's plenty of opportunity to to do good to one another, and that's what we're called to do, especially to our church family. So I'll say it again, the vitality of our family is based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit leading us individually, corporately, and adherence to his word. If we do what the Bible says, we are keeping in step with his will. And that, my friends, is all about church life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious and loving Father. There's no way around that. You are a gracious and loving Father. What you put up with, the patience that you exhibit towards us, Father, we could never match. You call us, Father, to do great works for you. And we want to honor you in that. But we have to allow your spirit to work in our lives so that we can see that through, so that we can follow through with what we've been called to. Lord, I pray over each and every person in here, I pray over their relationship with you right now. If there is separation, Lord, I pray that you draw them to you. Convict them through your spirit. Bring them back. Bring the connection back. I pray for that separation to to, to just diminish, Lord. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us to be really looking to what the Spirit's doing in our lives and allow him to do all the more. Let him express himself as he wants to in each of our lives so that we can adhere even more to the truth you have for us in Scripture, so that we can adhere even more to doing what you tell us, what you ask of us to do. The only way to do that, Father God, is to be in line with your will. So we pray for that connection. We pray for that constant communion, Lord. Please keep us from disruption. Keep us from separation, Lord. Keep the things away from us, Father, the temptations, the things of the world, the Satan's influence. Keep all of that away from us so that we can continually pursue our relationship with you. That's what we're asking for, Lord. And that in turn, Lord, brings our relationship to one another to the place where you expect it to be with patience and peace and encouragement and love, building one another up. It all goes hand in hand. Father God, that's my prayer today. That's my prayer today. I just challenge all of us this week to consider the text, consider the three sermons about church life that we have, have absorbed And let it take root. Let God's word take root in our lives with our relationship with each other and more importantly with him. Father God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.